0: The Way Out Podcast episode 270. What's your name, man?
1: Uh, my name is Pedro Zuniga.
0: Zuniga. What was your
2: substance of choice or DOC?
1: Um, alcohol was my baby and meth kind of uh went along with it. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's like peanut butter and jelly. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is your uh, clean date?
1: Um, March seventeen. wait, March 19th, sorry, 2017, March 19th, 2017.
2: So I'll take it you're not the type of guy that really thinks too much about the date or does the counting thing. Yeah. And, you know, I've had people respond to that question by explaining why they disagree with that stuff, you know, keeping a clean date. And that's cool too, but it's just something that... I think a lot of people identify with and like to keep score kind of deal at least for while, the first few years right because we're like what the hell this is crazy i'm clean <laughs> you know
1: well yeah but yeah for, for me that is the actual day though when this when this uh journey began so um you know when people ask me what it is i tell them but i don't you know yeah you're not like Six, it's not a contest. I have today, you know.
2: <laughs> amen, so. amen. What is your primary recovery program or pathway?
1: Primary recovery uh, pathway. Yeah. Um, I go to a lot of meetings, and I have a sponsor, but I I have had three, and I still talk to all three. So you're a twelve step guy. Oh. For sure, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. All right, and then how do you serve the recovery community?
1: Um, well, I serve as much as I can. I volunteer as much as I can. Whenever there's a barbecue or uh, a picnic or whatnot, uh, I always lend a hand. At the end there, I'm helping picking up tables and you know washing dishes. That's, that's what I do, I mean, I, I always have to be involved. I have to. <laughs> Absolutely, man.
2: Service is the crux of it, though. Um, and then, what does recovery mean to you?
1: Uh, recovery for me is new beginnings. Uh, my, my life is completely turned around. And it's a miracle that, that God chose me to, to live this better life. I, I am truly blessed. Mm. Um, And it's it's just an incredible, incredible journey so far. And it keeps getting better. (laughs) I mean, I meet awesome people like you.
2: (laughs) Amen, man. I I can't agree more. It's like the hugest blessing. It's like from what you give up the one thing and, you know, give this a shot. And it's just like you get everything in
0: return welcome way out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the way out podcast we appreciate your ears our mission is simple to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jump start or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction the way out podcast does not speak on behalf of nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization the way out podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and AllRecoveryRings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's AllRecoveryRings.com. The Way Out podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends in meetings and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Finally, a word of caution, this podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this installment of The Way Out, Spectacular Recovery podcast co-host Jason has a downright authentic and relatable interview with person in long-term recovery, Pedro Zuniga. Jason and Pedro talk about life, love, family, and discuss some common hurdles that many of us face while repairing our relationships in recovery. Jason and Pedro's conversation reveals some key recovery truths, such as how the ongoing process of learning a new way to live leads us to a more intimate knowledge of ourselves. Indeed, every situation we go through clean and sober brings about just a wee bit more wisdom and confidence that we can live life on life's terms, no matter what life throws our way. Pedro's story is incredibly instructive and very easy to relate to for any one of us, no matter where we're at in our own recovery journey. So listen up.
2: Hey everybody out there, it's your trusty co-host Jason back again. I got with me a good friend from the rooms in my local area, Pedro Zuniga. How's it going, buddy?
1: I'm doing great, how are you, bud?
2: (laughs) Awesome. It's really a pleasure to have you on and I'm looking forward to hearing because uh, i don't really think i've ever like seen you like tell your story or or sat down with you and really talked to great length about our stories before so this will be a good experience for me to get to know you a little better as well um yeah so like i said i've known pedro for quite a few years in this thing seen him around i mean we're we're not like super close but definitely we've always been cool you know we keep we pretty much keep in contact via facebook but I see him around at some meetings, and we got a ton of mutual friends. So I know he's good peoples because if his peoples are my peoples, <laughs> you know. What I mean? Right. Um, We're eight brothers. I, I love. Yeah, exactly. We're family, man. And I just, uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I get the chance to do this and give some people in my local area you know, kind of a platform and a way to share their story, their experience, strength, and hope with others, then hopefully it may touch somebody else in, in a positive way. So let's to just get started. Why don't you just briefly introduce yourself, bro, to the audience, and then we'll go from there.
1: Well, my name is uh, Pedro Zuniga. Uh, my start date is, uh, <laughs> my start date, my <laughs> recovery date is uh, March, <laughs> March 19th, uh, 2017. So, four and a half years of this so um, I uh, I serve a lot to the AA community I, uh, I volunteer as much as I can and I, I run a couple of meetings here and there so I run the yeah. I, I run the actual meeting at New Brighton Illinois on Saturday nights at 7pm so Hell it's man. a big book big book meeting if you guys want to anybody wants to come down it's open you're more than welcome to come. It's a great meeting. So. Nice.
2: And then, where are you, are you from New Brighton then, or what?
1: Um, originally, um, I was born in the state of Wyoming. I have to emphasize the state of Wyoming, because everybody thinks, oh, you just moved over, you just live over there in Wyoming? No. It's yeah, not Wyoming. It Wyoming, Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, big deal. Yeah. Oh, well, no. The state is. Hell yeah so so i i graduated in 1990 and then uh my my older brother was wrestling here at the u of m and he kind of swooped me up on the on the way back from visiting home and i went with him and here i am hell
2: yeah well i'm glad he brought you here (laughs) yeah thanks yeah hell yeah what uh we usually try to start from kind of just like with some background. Um, so what, what was it like for you growing up and, and then we'll move into, you know, how you got introduced to substances and what that experience was like for you. But
1: Okay. Um, well, I always start out. My story is, uh, my, my very first, first, uh, first thing I can remember as a little kid was, uh, Uh, a lot of screaming and, and, uh, fighting and arguing and I would be scared of that. And I would always run to my mom's room and run into her closet and hide underneath a bunch of clothes. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So
1: I grew up in an abusive family. My dad was a raging alcoholic. Uh, so he would come home numerous nights and, and, uh, start to start to beat up my mom, you know? Or tried you, and my uh, well, yeah, you did. <laughs> so, I'm the youngest boy of eight kids, and I have a little sister. So, um, all my older brothers and sisters would, would intervene and try to, you know, get in the way or try to protect my mom, and it was just just hell growing up, you know. Um, um I just, uh, <clears throat> I remember getting. Getting whipped around a couple times, a few times, uh, a couple, couple, few bloody noses, <laughs> broken, broken noses and stuff for, for no apparent reason, and uh, uh, that, that, I mean, that kind of, it, that changed after a while, you know, after we started growing up a little bit more, and uh, so it wasn't as bad as it sounds. I mean, it was, it was really bad, but. You know, as time went on, I, I remember the last time my dad actually tried to whip me with a, with a with a rod from outside, <laughs> and uh, I think I was like, 13, 14 years old, and I grabbed the stick and it broke in half, and he just said, he just looked at me like, okay, you're you're too old for, for whipping anymore. So, <laughs> so that was the last time he ever whipped me around. Um, Yeah, But uh, it's weird. It's weird how that works when you're finally in
2: a position where you're going to fight back, you know.
1: Yeah. Now they don't feel so powerful.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. So uh, growing up, um, I thought that growing up in that in that realm or in that environment caused me to have a a speech impediment because I stuttered really, really bad. Mm. but I found out later that it was my, my, my grandfather passed it on to me <laughs> Oh, really? he had a, yeah, he had a stutter as well. Okay. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I had really bad anxiety growing up and I did, uh, stutter very bad, uh, throughout, throughout, uh, elementary school and junior high. And I think it started getting better in high school, but it was still really bad. Yeah. Uh, Um, so just growing up with that was difficult. Um, I had, I was pretty much blind. I had these Coke bottle glasses. Well, I got LASIK now, so now I have readers, (laughs) but, uh, uh, so I had some challenges, you know, I would lose my glasses or break my glasses and get in trouble for that. Uh, but then, uh like I said my older brother was always wrestling and we we started wrestling when we were little and he was just great. I mean, he was like a fish out of fish out of water or whatever you call it. He was like a, a monkey on a wrestling mat. Cuz he was just amazing and he's he made it to the Olympics, the 96 Olympic team. That's how good he was in, oh, wow. in 1996. Yes. So so even growing up like that underneath this you know great wrestler you know my dad always would always push me to be as good as him you know Mm. and i wasn't i wasn't i wasn't dave Zinniga, you know i was me you know i i I, uh i i went the the music route i was in band i was the band geek you know (laughs) whatever but uh i just felt that my dad you know My dad loved him more because he was a star of the show all the time. He was always kicking everybody's ass. Um, I wrestled, too, and I I won pretty much more than three-quarters of my matches. Mm -hmm. But I never made – I never took state. I never, you know, went to college and wrestled and none of that. But so just growing up, I just always felt, you know, not good enough. And or like
2: uh, you're living in his shadow,
1: something like yeah, that. Yeah, and I lived, yeah, and I, I lived in the shadow all the time. Um, you know, with the glasses, I wasn't handsome enough. You know, just all this crap going up uh, upstairs and the anxiety. You know, so my older brother, my oldest brother, Bonnie, he was getting married. I'll start telling you about the first time I drank. Mm-hmm. actually there, there was a couple more other times where I didn't even realize it was beer or whatever because uh, I went irrigating with my dad one time because we lived out in Wyoming, you know so we had to go through the fields and make sure they had the water and stuff and it, it must have been a hundred hundred plus hundred plus degrees out and he just told me to stay in the truck, you know, try to stay cool and we had just he had just bought a, a six pack of beer. And the water had just ran out. <clears throat> so I was just sitting there and, and boiling hot. And I remember grabbing the this ice cold beer
3: <laughs>
1: and opening it and it was the coldest, most refreshing thing. And all I can remember is slamming that beer. And and I don't remember anything after that. So I must have passed out. <laughs> yeah.
3: Was so, he pissed?
1: <laughs> like what do you think about
3: so. beer for, boy? yeah <laughs> yeah. i was thirsty so
1: yeah yeah uh so that was one time and that didn't really affect me as much yeah. as this this time when i was 15 is when i first uh experienced uh drinking and and what it did to me and uh so my brother was getting married and they, they had a party a bachelor party right down the street and i was in charge of taking care of the nieces and nephews. And so my best friend came over and uh, we were watching the kids. The kids fell asleep. And then we would sneak down the the alleyway with a pitcher, a couple pitchers and fill those pitchers up with beer. And we kept running back and forth and we got pretty, pretty hammered. (laughs) But uh, yeah. And the, the first things that I noticed was that, man, all that anxiety was gone. Hmm. i could i could talk like a sing like a bird and talk whatever i could say any joke i can oh my god it was great i could talk to the girls um you name it man it was like a new me i was like right. holy shit this is freaking great you know so so after that first time man i was off like <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I could off imagine
2: just this just the thing with the stutter like you're like holy shit! It fixed my stutter. You know, like even just oh, yeah. that in and of itself would have been enough to make you be like, "Oh, this shit fucking is the answer to a problem." <laughs>
1: you know, right, right, yeah. It totally uh, it was the my, the cure all, and from there on, man, we uh, like in the meeting the other day, what we were talking about. Uh, you know, they all the growing up in high school. There's a bunch of cliques and stuff. And mm. at, from the, to that point, I was I was you know in in band, good kid, band member. Of, you know, I was in wrestling, so I was a good athlete. I did okay in school. I I, I was kind of a slow learner, but but uh, from there on, I started to just you know go downhill. You know, I just I just went to school to get get d's and pass you know right and that was it and and you know i got the the reputation of you know okay this guy's a partier now and you know he doesn't give a shit. you know that was in one of the stories that we read uh, last night you know the, the guy you know said the same pretty much the same thing that i went through you know where i didn't really give a shit. I just wanted to get the hell out of school you know right. to, to go get high and go get drunk you know so That was it. And then moving on from there, uh, when I actually moved to Minnesota, uh, with Dave, uh, the first three months here, we were, we were drunk for three months straight Mm. every day. (laughs) It it was, it was a contest kind of like whoever woke up first would go to the fridge and open up beer and then get the other brother a beer. Well, you Know we'd wake up with a beer, yeah. So, yeah, it's just like, want a beer? Oh, yeah, why not? You know, so we would just drink all day, all night. You know, sounds like me and my brother Brandon when he lived at my apartment, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, friends in the family. So, oh, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, so that happened, and then you know, from there on, I just never, I mean. I was this 18-year-old kid, no parents to talk to because they're all back in Wyoming. And my dad really never sat down and talked to me about the future or you need to do this, you need to do that. You know, you got to get a good education. Like, he never said anything like that. You know, right. he, he never even played catch with me, you know. So um, I was just this, you know, this, this kid in the, in the, in the big – Big world of Minnesota, you know, a big town, and you know, eventually I got a job, and it was it was uh, it was m- making pizzas downtown in Minneapolis, and just from there on, I, I, from there I went to the Mall of America and opened up another pizza place. I didn't open it, but I it was just one of the cooks there, no. and uh, that went on to working back downtown at Pizza Luce to about 1995. And then that's when I got into construction. Mm. But uh, I said, just the whole, the whole time I never pushed myself to get a better job where it is to stop and, and pick up a, pick up a book to, to teach me how to get mm. this better job. Right. That, that was, that, I was just living day to day in life. Life was, you know, drinking, partying, having fun, working, getting your paycheck. You know, having a rope yeah. over your head putting a, you know making sure rent was paid and that was it and you know so so eventually i uh working at the mall i i met my first girlfriend and in 1995 i had my first kid with her and we moved to st cloud and same old thing you know i I I went, I moved to St. Cloud and got two jobs. I was working two jobs and they were just labor positions. You know, there weren't any, wasn't any manager type or nothing like that. It was just work your ass off, get paid like shit, you know? So, but that was good enough, you know, for me. So I thought, you know, so that didn't last very long. I lived there for a year and we broke up and then, Years go by <clears throat> and then uh, in 2000, 2000, I met my wife of 17 years while well, actually there was another girl in between there, but <laughs> <laughs> that was a girl from Canada and don't, whatever you do, don't ever meet anybody in Winnipeg, Canada okay? and bring her down okay. here and marry her because they are nuts. <laughs> okay. Oh,
2: I'll write it down in my journal tonight. <laughs> Just, kidding. <laughs> Just kidding,
1: Sarah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that was, that was, that was, that was one year out of my life. So that, that time um, where I actually had quit drinking for a year hmm. and then I, at six months, at six months, I started smoking pot. That's all I did. But I thought I was this person that could change people and change how she was. And I was this miracle worker because I don't drink, you know, so I can, you know, I'm better than you. I can, you know, I can fix, you know, that that was my, my thinking. So that's why I I brought her to Minnesota and I don't know, it just went downhill from there. And so that was another experience of mine, but. Right after that, I started drinking again and had the best time of my life. <laughs> right. uh, but there again, it we partied for another three months, every every day, every night, and uh, I I, lo- I actually lost my job doing that in construction. Then I, I kind of started my own my own company. Then you know, but it didn't amount to much and. Um, I just kept on getting low, low paying carpenter jobs, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so now I'm with, so now I'm with my, uh, my, my third, my third wife and last one. Um, the number one thing for us is that, is that, uh, we took care of our kids and we were, we were great. Um, uh, we actually moved from Coon Rapids because because uh, the, the meth was starting to get a lot I mean people it was starting to get crazy so I'm like and we had our we had our first kid there and I'm like no, there's no way I'm gonna raise my kid in this environment so we actually moved to Moundsview. and from there uh, you know we lived in Moundsview. View and you know we would drink every weekend sometimes you know, every other day, I'd have a beer or two, but weekends we'd party it up. Um, so we did that for like ten years. And it was great, it was pretty pretty much normal normal living, you know. Um, and then uh, that tenth year, ten or eleven year, my two neighbors that are two friends that lived in Coon Rapids, they moved a mile away from us, like pretty much down the street right and that's where it all started again yeah <laughs> we went over there at their house and we hung out and then at the end we were like well we gotta go like hey well we're gonna go downstairs and smoke some stuff up you want <laughs> you want to come yeah. down <clears throat> all right we can't <laughs>
3: <all
1: good>. um <laughs> yeah. She was scratching on my TV. I'm like, what the hell? You know, so (laughs) first time she's ever done that.
0: Well,
2: it's because you're busy. It's like a kid, you know, they never want nothing to do with you until you're on the phone or you're in the middle of something like that. And then they want to start fucking with you.
1: (laughs) She always messes with me. So here we are about ready to leave. The night's kind of young, well, 11, whatever. I'm like, well, we're going to go. Well, hey, we're just going to go downstairs. Yeah. And we both look at each other. We kind of said, you know, oh, if they don't mention it, we won't mention it. And sure enough, they mentioned it. And we said, well, whatever. Let it rock. And we did. We started smoking meth again. Huh. And then, uh, so then after that, it was it was pretty much every weekend after that. We kept it cool. I kept working, you know, my, my uh, normal job. Not any... Any anything, you know, I just made enough to pay bills, you know, just, just like any normal mm-hmm. job, you know. So, um, at that point, a uh, couple of years went by, and then it was getting my my wife after after three years of that, two and a half years, my wife actually found a, a meth dealer. You know, this lady. <clears throat> And she could buy it anytime she wanted, and she did. And uh, mm. so now we're we're smoking it every weekend and in a couple of days out of the week now. And then the last two years, uh, year 15 and 16, well, 16 and 17. No, the last three years, I was, I was smoking meth every day mm. and drinking every day around the clock. And I just, I just, it was so bad that I just wanted to be normal. I would, I would just wanted to get to that normal, normalcy, not too fucking high and jittery and fucked up and not too wasted drunk. And so I would do those for, you know, throughout the day, just trying to manage it enough to keep working and stuff and. God, I mean, it, it works good for a
2: while, but it doesn't work forever. You know what I mean? Like it, when I, when I right. was using it was the same thing. Like I sold <clears throat> shit myself though. So I, I would have like, I'd have the dope, but then I'd also have like, you know, Xanax and Seroquils and Kalanopins and shit like that, that could knock me on my ass. That was for, if I wanted to sleep, that was for, if I was getting so retarded that I needed to like sleep. Cause then I just fucking, I'd knock myself out and then yeah like to for the like leveling it out shit, it was like we you know drinking beers like like you said you know just trying to like maintain at a specific type of level and not be too gacked and not be too like stupid or <laughs> sleepy or whatever and man that shit, it might work for a while but it just completely the rails it goes right off the rails. You can't control that shit forever.
1: <laughs> and it didn't. It, uh, I, I was starting to lose control of my mind. Mm-hmm. I started losing. I, I didn't know who the hell I was anymore. Uh, it reflected in my marriage. Yeah. Um, mm. It was me being more. My, my anxiety came back. Probably worse than before. Worst and worst than ever, I always wanted to always go live, live back home in Wyoming because I miss my parents all the time now. You know, I'd always go once, once or twice a year back home. And that, that that was pretty much all the time, which sucks. You know, I'd get all drunk and I'm like, I want to go home, you know, I want to move home, you know. So that got really old with, with the wife, you know, and we'll just fucking leave that, you know, I'm like, no, nah, I can't leave, you know, I got my kids here and let it, off but, uh, but towards the end there, I, I was in my garage. I built, I built a garage and I built a porch for my wife or my ex-wife you now or whatever. And, uh, I would, I would end up staying in that garage more, more than I would sleep next to my wife, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, it's like you always have a
2: hundred projects going on, but you never finish one and half time you're just just saying you have shit that you're working on so that they don't ask questions and they leave you the Oh exactly.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I'd be cranking the music late at night, two in the morning and she'd run out there turn it down, you know, (laughs) I'm going to turn the power off because in the house was the, the actual power to the garage. Yeah, (laughs) there was a couple of times she actually turned the power off. I'm like, Oh, come on. So I, I'd have to go in and be done for tonight. Or, or just try to like
2: finesse the situation as it were.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Turn it back on real quick and run it back out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, that's where that last year of our marriage, though, she had started seeing somebody else. Mm -hmm. And now when I, when I think about it, I'm like, I, I created a monster in her, you know, and, uh, you know, I heard right when I first, when I first started, or stopped drinking was was when at work I started asking people around, asking around people at work. I'm like, dude, I need to quit. I don't know how. And, and our boss, the CEO of the company, had 10 years of sobriety at the time. <laughs>
3: oh,
1: wow. and they're like going you need to go talk to Dan He's our boss Dan and I and so they they told they told him about me and he gave me a call and like two hours before the end of the day he says get your ass into the office right now and I'm like okay and uh, yeah that was <laughs> that was awesome I mean well it was just amazing how that happened
3: because
1: I had I had a six pack of beer waiting for the drive home. And yeah. That's what I that's what I would do. I'd always drink beer on the way home. And as soon as I sat down and talked with him, he was just, you know, whose fault do you think this is and this and that and on. of course it's the wife's fault and this and that and the right. job and blah blah blah. He's like, no, it's you. <laughs> no. You're the one that caused all this. And at the time I didn't believe it, you know. I'm like, well, she's got something to do with it, too. I'm like, well, no. He's like, no. All you, man. And <laughs> we talked for two hours, man. And he got me down to tears that first day. And and uh, it, was, it was what I needed. You know, I needed that that, that man of uh, authority to actually sit me down and tell me to fucking, you need to knock it off and start living a better life. Because nobody had ever fucking told me. Yeah. You know, my dad he was a, a, the voice of authority of me growing up, but till, till then, until my boss actually sat down and said, "You need to clean your, clean your act up and stop drinking right now." He says, "Not on the way home, not later tonight, not tomorrow, not the next fucking day, right fucking now. You need to quit right now <laughs> And man, whoo. <whew. laughs> Um, yeah I did that's awesome and uh, I mean that lasted for for three three days and I broke down again but man I that was the first time in 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 years that I didn't drink on the way home and those beers sat sat in my truck the whole time and I never drank them mm. and then uh three days go by and something else happened and I got wasted drunk again and then um, it was actually my, my, uh, my daughter's birthday, which was March 16th, but the weekend was before that. And they, uh, they had gone to Mystic Lake to go to the arcades and stuff. And she said, I couldn't come They, they, were, they had a, a part, They had a, a room, swimming pool party, arcade. I couldn't go because we were, you were just going to bring the party down, blah, blah, blah mm. point. whatever. So I was pretty pissed. So I got, uh, I went and got a case, a case of beer, this big, tall case of beer. And I had a half of an edible left and I ate that half, half of an edible, which I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> because it was super strong. So I was tripping on this edible and I pretty much drank. 18 of those 24 talls and I drank all night till around 6.30 in the morning mm. and I was calling people and I called my buddy um, called my buddy up and he uh, he came and picked me up and I go, dude you got to get me out of here because my, my kids are coming I told him I wasn't going to be drinking anymore <laughs> and uh, and they actually I and I kept on saying, no, no, I'm not, I don't want to go he's like, you need to come with me right now <laughs> Just let me have one more beer. And I slam one more beer and he goes think like, hey, that's it. And all of a sudden here they come pulling in. I'm like, holy shit. And I bailed and I ran and jumped into his truck. And and uh <laughs> it's like yeah. you're like
2: 15 all over again, you know, doing some oh yeah, trying to fucking avoid people and
1: run away and shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well no, I wasn't drinking. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so he drove me straight to uh, uh, Mercy Hospital in in uh, Fridley there, and that's where I detoxed for a couple days. And when they released me, I walked across the street to uh, the Lyric Building. That was a treatment place, and and they told me. Well, they gave me an interview. And did, did my uh, my my deep, uh, your assessment, whatever that, yeah. My drug assessment, whatever. And I told him the truth, exactly what was going on. I told him everything, how much and how much of this, how much of that. And I told him everything. And they're like, going, okay, well, what do you want to do? I go, I want to get rid of this. I want to, I want to nip this in the ass. I want to, I want to, I want to win my wife back. You know, because she's already wants a divorce and everything. and So I want to be done with this. I want to know who I am now because I don't know who I am anymore. And I want to, I want this to end, you know. And they go, well, we got this 30-day, three months, seven months, whatever. There was an eight-month one. And I'm like, give me the longest one you have. And they they both look at each other, the receptionist in the and the uh, the counselor, they're like, "Wow!" <laughs> I'm like, "All right, well, give him the, give him the longest one." And I'm like, "Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not playing anymore." And that was the start of it, man. And and that's, that's where I that's started. A
2: surrender moment right there when you're like, yeah. That's like when I was in River Place that last time, and I, <clears throat> uh, I was totally planning that. Like, I knew that I needed to be there for like the extended care and everything, but I applied myself, you know, hardcore. And then they were like when it was like coming up a few days before the end of that 28-day first the IOP part, she had my uh assessment, you know, or whatever. And she was like she had it marked on there that she was going to have me do the outpatient, you know, three nights a week or whatever. And I was like, "Oh, can we change that?" I was like, she's like, "What?" and I was like, "Yeah, can I want to go to extended care and she was like seriously because she's like you're doing a lot better than a lot of the people in here right now i think that you would be fine and i'm like no i want to go to extended care now don't get me wrong dude a month after that i hit the wall and i was like fucking for a couple days i had kind of like a pissy attitude and i'm like what did i do you know like i'm fucking i was kind of sick of being there for a couple days Thankfully, I passed and I made the most of the rest of the time, but I was like, I kind of hit the wall for a couple of days where I was like, fuck, why am I still here? Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So,
1: yeah, that's where it started. And uh, before treatment started, <clears throat> I actually went, you know, we, we, of course, me and the wife are still fighting and stuff and or just not even talking, you know, at this point. Um, I actually went into BW3 and I ordered my wings like normal and I ordered my big old tall Bud Light and I finished my wings and man, I, I, I took like two drinks of that Bud Light and I just said, what the fuck am I doing? And that was the last drink I ever fucking took. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> Seriously, I took two drinks, and I'm like, what am I doing? And I just stopped. And that was the last time. So something, I believe that was. Something
2: yeah. stuck in here. But there's this saying. Yeah. I've shared it many times on the show, so sorry if I'm redundant to anybody that listens a lot, but for the sake of conversation, it's this saying is there's nothing worse than a head full of AA and a belly full of booze right? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. it so ruins my, your, ruins
2: a, your high. Yeah. I had a similar experience that last time that I used. And then I, it was my birthday, the morning of my birthday. And I was planning on getting fucked up that night, but I couldn't stop. I was like, cause I had some that night before smoked a little bud and drank. I don't know, maybe a six pack. So I wasn't like really super hungover, but I remember sitting there that next morning, dude, on my birthday morning and just feeling like a pile of shit. And I couldn't get out of my head and I couldn't stop hearing the, like my sponsor and his sponsor and some of the stuff they were talking to me about a couple weeks prior at this meeting. And I'm like, dude, so I just called my sponsor and told him what I did. To, I explained my position and why, and that I was kind of secretly angry. And he was like, super cool about it. And then I was like, no more beers, bro. And he's like, really? No more beers? I was like, no more beers, bro. <laughs> and then fucking yeah. that was it. Like you said, I just, it was the most, it was the worst feeling though, until I did something about it. Right. Till I made a choice, you know, and, and then it was like really freeing and it felt good. I was later on my feet, but it was like sitting in that negative feeling. Like if you would have just been like, what am I doing, but kept drinking the beer, you know, that would have sucked.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, and then from there, from there on, it just, I went to treatment and did my treatment. And then I did a year of aftercare after that. And and I kept myself busy. Um, So it was uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday from six to nine every, every day. And so Saturday and Sunday, I was at new Brighton, Illinois. And then on Wednesdays and I kept every doing day. that recovery every day. Yeah. And I was, I just, and I just kept learning and learning. And Everybody would tell me, like going, well in treatment, they said, if you can put, you know, half the time, half as much time, as you're doing your alcohol and your drugging into your sobriety you're gonna be okay and i'm like i'm gonna give it hundred percent oh yeah <laughs> and 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 i've been doing it ever since i i can't i can't go back to sitting around doing nothing because my mind will take me right back to where i was before and i will start drinking again and i don't want to ever again so No shit, right? It's like, no, thank you.
2: It's funny, though, because the further in I get, that's more like just automatic, right? Like I'm like, ugh. Like like the other night, I get home. And, uh, you know, I live at my sponsor's place. So, him and his wife live here. And uh, so, when I get home the other day, like there's a couple guys here. It's like one of her sons and his buddy, right? Well, I didn't even know his buddy was here. And then all of a sudden he comes up on the deck and he comes in the house and this dude is fucking plastered. And it's like five o'clock, like he was (laughs) plastered. And I'm like, damn, what's up with that shit? But I didn't say nothing to him. I was just like, hey, what's up, man? You know, and (laughs) it was like, wow. And then I think that she felt bad um, because, you know, she knows me and me and him and recover me and Mike are in recovery and shit. So she, I think tries to, even though she drinks herself, I think she gets protective about that kind of stuff. Like her worries that it's going to be like something that's going to be uncomfortable. I, I, and it was fine. I'm, I'm like, whatever, dude. But it was kind of weird. Like, you know, how drunk people can be so annoying. So I'm like, wow. Yeah, <laughs> <pretty early. Exactly. laughs> but yeah i didn't give the guy no shit and and i just went downstairs and shit after a couple, we exchanged some pleasantries but i was thinking like damn, i don't even know where the fuck i was going with that story but hey
1: right so on on october 20th out of the uh 24 hours a day pretty much says it all on 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 our beginnings and not doing our will anymore versus doing God's will. Mhm. And it just fucking kicked my ass it floored me so I'm going to read that real quick. If you don't yeah, mind. absolutely man. Go for it. So October 20, thought for today. For the past for the past few weeks we have been asking ourselves some some searching questions. We have not been able to answer them all as we would like. But on the right answers to these questions will depend the usefulness and effectiveness of our lives and to some extent, the usefulness and effectiveness of the whole AA movement. It all boils down to this. I owe a deep debt to AA and to the grace of God. Am I going to do all I can to repay that debt? Of course. Let us search our souls, make our decisions, and act accordingly. And any real success we have in life will depend on that. That's super important, right there. What it says right there, I'm, I'm going to highlight that. But any real success we have in life will depend on that. You know, going to AA and acting accordingly. Right. Now is the time to put our conclusions into effect. What am I going to do about it? And right there, I, I action. It means action. We got to we got to do something, you know. So meditation for today, our Lord and our God, be it done unto us accordingly to thy will. Simple simple acceptance of God's will in whatever happens is the key to abundant living. Mm. We must continue to pray, not my will, but thy will be done. Mm. It may not turn out the way you want it to. But it will be the best way in the long run because it is God's way. If you decide to accept whatever happens in God's will for yourself, whatever it may be, your burdens will be lighter. Try to see in all things some fulfillment in the divine intent. Prayer for today. I pray that I may see the working out of God's will in my life. I pray that I may be content with whatever he wills for me. Okay. I'm like, Woo! <laughs> Right. Because
2: that's, Cause so that, that's much, the
3: answer.
2: That's, that's so the answer. The open-mindedness to the things that life's going to throw at you and to not, no longer respond to things you don't agree with, with anger and, and damning God because he's allowing this to happen to you or to somebody else or whatever you know just having that blind faith that he's going to work everything out for your good you know is so because then we're not it's all like we don't have to control manipulate you know any of this shit. we can just let it happen as it's going to happen we can let it be what it is um You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, it it lightens, you said it, it lightens our load so much.
1: Yeah. And it's uh, in the beginning where, well, before any little thing would screw up our day and make everything negative and we just go downhill from there. And it's just like, it, it, it messed up my will. So I'm pissed off now and it just screwed everything up to where now it's like it doesn't affect us at all or it does, it does but not not like it did before it didn't piss us off like we didn't get our a little boy didn't get his ball you know crying all the way home you know now now we 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 sit and we think about it and then we're like well you know no kids died so we're good
2: <laughs> right,
1: right you know something well, like I mean, that even, you know
2: even to that to that point you know i've seen people in recovery or Advocates, uh, supporters, and whatnot for the recovery community that have lost kids and made, yeah, it, yeah. made it through it with some grace and and really like leaned into God, depended on God through that through that you know to, and that was how they processed through and yeah I mean it can't be in that instance like. The most comforting, it's, it's probably hard to get any comfort, but you know, like you, you do have some, if, if you believe that they're at home with our creator and in a better place and they're not suffering anymore or,
3: right, yeah,
2: you know, it's a big relief, even though you For sure. to go through the grief. Oh man. I got, uh, man, I just, yeah so many things like lately actually that that really sparks in my mind it's i'm grateful i'm grateful that i don't have to try to control or manipulate the things around me anymore and that i can give it to god because letting go right like letting go is the most one of the biggest things in the beginning of my recovery that changed the game for me like being able to let go of all this shit that wasn't never mine to carry to begin with, you know, just give it to God. Just give it to him. Yeah. Let go. Let God. (laughs) So, so useful of a tool and it's hard of course, because any good addict never lets go of anything without leaving claw marks on it. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, man, I got these rapid fire questions. You, you, you down, brother?
1: I am. I just want to read one more quick thing. Oh, yeah. Do it up. Do it up. And it's it's about dwelling in the past. That's what we used to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always, you know, wanted to go live back home, you know, and I was so pissed off that that uh, and sad that I was only going back home Once a year, all those years, you know, and every time I go back, I see my parents getting older and older and older. And I was just like, man, I wish I would have been able to be there as they grew old, but I was only there once a year, you know, and that just killed me, you know, that and this just holding on to bullshit, you know, it it brings you down. And now it's just like, it is what it is. And it's supposed to be that way. And it, it, it happened the way it's supposed to happen. Yeah. So, certainly acceptance. But this is out of the uh, Serenity book from Serenity Village on Tuesday nights. Great. So, this was from October nineteenth. The way ahead, God's doing a new thing for you, and He invites you not to dwell on the past. You've always, you've you've allowed shame from the pit of hell to dictate your present. Your present as well as as the future. In fact, the enemy brings up your past on occasion just to see where you are spiritually. Don't <laughs> look in the rearview mirror. Keep focused on what's ahead. This isn't about where you've been. It's about where you're going. Mm. Your heavenly Father has patiently waited to reveal Himself to you and release His unmerited favor and grace upon you as you become more willing and aware of the vital importance. To, to do it God's way, his will. It's essential to remember how far he's already, already brought you. Change is critical for, critical for your next breath, your next step, and for your actions to speak louder than words. God makes a way and provides streams of living water to nourish you. When you remember the, the desert wasteland you used to live in, and guilt and shame twist you, To think that you, that what you, let me write that again. (laughs) When you remember the the desert wasteland you used to live in and guilt and shame twist you to think that's what you deserve. God reminds you, he sent his son to die for you so you can live abundantly. Mm. Yeah, Mm. so Lord, I pray I keep focused on the way ahead. I'm so grateful for your tender mercies and unrelenting grace. Amen. and that's just that, again that says it all again in my recovery right i thanks, i am so blessed that he chose me he chose me to to live this better life he chose you to live this better life and we have to take it and 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 just believe in him that he's leading you leading us in the right way in the right direction right. you know and yeah. and uh, the, all the, all the crappy sh- shitty things that happen it was meant to be that way to, to mold you, to make you a better person. You know, it yeah. built character. <laughs> so
2: it does, it, it's all for the, our, our own benefit and our good and making us who he wants us to be. I, the last interview I did, this guy, he said, you know, that he's gotten where he is by just being faithful to each thing that God puts in front of him. Right. Like, he likened it to like the israelites with the cloud that was leading them through the wilderness right like when the cloud moved they would move they would just go where the cloud went you know and he's like i just went where the cloud went man you know and i thought that was cool you know because you don't know until you feel that tug or or that prompting or something an opportunity gets thrown in your lap and you can you know say yes or you can say no but if it's something that could benefit you and others like my sponsor told me you got to say yes to that shit you got to do each next right thing that's put in front of you basically and it's it works you'd be amazed where you end up right right (laughs) it's beautiful and thank you for reading those readings because they they really hit home and that they are very instructive and just yeah they are uh, a simpler way to live, you know what I mean? So much. Exactly. Simpler. So much simpler. But yeah, so I got these rapid fire. It's these are like closing questions. Helps us get to know you a little bit better and gives you an opportunity to make some cool suggestions to the listeners for things they can check out. All right. You down. Yeah, right, let's <laughs> do this first one. We think that uh, daily recovery routines are very important for uh you know sustainable recovery. So what does your daily or regular recovery routine consist of?
1: Well first thing I do is I thank God every morning that I actually woke up sober, clean and sober. And actually actually waking up to a brand new day is is the first thing I, I'm grateful for. And I thank God every morning um, because you never know. I mean, I, I have, I have sleep apnea sometimes not really bad, knock on wood, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, sometimes I, I wake up per- periodically th- throughout the night. and You know, one of these times I might not wake up, you know, knock on wood, but, but you never know. And I just thank God that I'm, I'm, I'm sober and I get to wake up sober. And then throughout the day, I just, like I I walk with the grace of God, man. And once I heard that, if you try to walk in the, the grace of God, you know how He would like you to walk, and just be positive and helpful, and just, God, your day goes so much better. It's just like, you know, somebody cuts you off. You're just like well, whatever. Maybe he needed to get there, you know, faster than you had, or whatever. You know, like whatever. <laughs> Yeah, it just makes your day go a lot quicker and, and a lot better, and, and uh, um, I always try to reach out on any any platform, Facebook, whatever it is. Some sometimes I'll have time to, you know, put in a reading from uh, the twenty four hours or whatever, whatever you know. Mm-hmm. So that's my day. I mean, that's what I do during the day. And then and then if uh what whatever day it is, I'll I'll try to find a really good meeting and express how I felt that day and how it went. Yeah. There you go. And then and then at night I thank God for, for having a great day. Even if it wasn't a great day. <laughs> yeah. Because
2: any day above ground is a great day.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. Damn right. Uh and and it's a gift. That's why they call it the present, because today is a gift. Um, what is a book or a piece of recovery literature that
1: has had the biggest impact on your recovery? uh obviously, number one, the big book twelve step recoveries book uh twelve traditions, but the uh, mainly mainly reading those twelve steps twelve steps out of the big book saved my life. mm-hmm. It changed the way I—I I think it changed the way I—I I, uh, perceive things now. It let me let go of all the wicked crap bullshit that was in the back of my head, mm-hmm. or haunting me every fucking day. I was able to write it down and let it go, and pull it up on a piece of paper and throw it away. Right. When you were it taught, taught me why- how to. <clears throat> sorry, go ahead. It just—it taught me how to the ratings it taught me it taught me that uh, I don't have to be in charge all the time and if it doesn't go my way I don't have to be all pissed off yeah. that I didn't get my way you know mm-hmm. and and it taught me how to get a sponsor and you know just the 12 steps just, and I, I don't even I, I don't think 12 steps is just for people in, in, in recovery or AA or whatever. I think the 12 steps could work with anybody Mm -hmm. because there's people out there that are struggling or not struggling with drugs and alcohol, but they're still struggling with things in their past and just being, being a good person in general, you know, reading the, reading the 12 steps actually molds you into this better person. And if you keep doing these steps and, 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 doing what it says in a daily basis and your life gets better. You get better first and then everything around you gets better, yeah. which people come up and tell you too. They're like, going, dude, you're like fucking glowing. What the hell's going on? Like yeah. you walk, you're, you're not pissed off anymore. What's going on? You know, I'm, I don't know. Just made a change in my life. You know?
2: Yeah. It's beautiful, dude. And like, like with that previous question and you were talking about just walking in the grace of God and being, um that that it gives you like gratitude and stuff it's like you know similarly like for me it it was that way where i just noticed and it's always these little things right like when when some goes down at work and i'm not or somebody disrespects me or whatever and my response blows my own mind it's like the training from doing these steps and living this new lifestyle kicks in, in moments like that. And I'll just kind of be beside myself, watching myself respond in a totally different way than the old one and I'll be cognizant of that fact. And I'll be like, wow, like, where did that come from? And I'm like, "This, oh, yeah. those, those are the moments that just make me even more grateful. But yeah, it's like, I don't have those moments hardly at all, though, anyway, because it's like I just to your point, you know, I perceive things so much differently that it's like. I'm just pretty much like. Feeling good, enjoy, and I'm trying to do everything as best I can do it, and I want to see everybody win and, and I'm trying to lift people around me up and instead of, yeah, keeping score on people's bullshit and. Holding grudges yeah. and all that stuff is like just not the way that I think anymore, or whatever. And it, I just don't, get, yeah, don't get offended as easy anymore. Just so much more, you know. To your point, light on my feet and easy going about stuff, and it's it is what this program or any any recovery program or pathway can do for you because I really think they all kind of have a lot of similar pr- themes, right, and principles. That, that they work with uh, changes your life and changes who you are at a fundamental level. It's beautiful. Sure. What is the best piece of advice that you think you've ever received in recovery?
3: Oh my God. Hmm. Um.
1: Well, um, it just happened the other day. Hmm. Um, I was out in Wyoming and I had a run in with my brother. Um, he had left my dad on the floor. They were both drinking. My dad fell down on the kitchen floor. I don't know how long he was there, but when I got there, my, my brother was blaring the music and, and, uh, you know, I went in there and I helped my dad and he says, well, oh, go help your dad. He fell down in the kitchen. I'm like, you son of a bitch. So I went and helped my dad up. And then after that, uh, I started yelling at both of them, mainly him, that they needed to stop fucking drinking right the fuck now, you know? And uh, at that point, my brother, he doesn't take shit from anybody. He's my older brother. And he's, came after me swinging and I defended myself and I defended myself <laughs> pretty good too. Um, <laughs> ended up in, When you're sober. <laughs> oh, dude, I, I threw him around like a rag doll. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, um, so we went to court the next, that next Monday, which was last Monday. And you know, the whole time I wanted to make sure he stayed in there a lot longer. And, uh, but there's really nothing I could do. And the judge let him out on a, on a $500 bail. So I had called my sponsor about it and I told him what exactly what happened and, and, uh, <clears throat> and all the details of what happened. He just told me, he says, well, Pedro, um, uh, the scary thing is that you were in a fight and the more, more scarier is that you had your, your, your handgun on you. So that was even more scarier. But the, 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 the main most important advice that he gave me was that you can't save the world. You can't save them. It's their choice if they want to stop drinking. You have no control over that you need to get your ass home and back here, recovery. Where? Yeah. We just, he said, you need to get your ass back home where people actually love you. Your, your kids need you. And, uh, if there is any so <clears throat> if there is any any competition on whoever was going to win the competition there, if you stay there, Pedro, you're both going to lose. You're going to end up shooting your brother and, and you, it's going to haunt you for the rest of your fucking life and you're going to end up drinking again and nobody wins. And your dad's going to end up hating you for shooting his son so all that just I was just like fuck you know and it was it was the light at the end of the tunnel though what he had told me he says just come home just come home where where your life is more important where you can actually change your life for the better and not for anybody else Yeah, get your ass home And that's what I did. I I packed up right, right then and there. I went back home.
2: (laughs) You got caught in one of those situations where it's impossible to be objective when it's people that you love so much and you want people to want what you have. Right. And when you see them in that state, it's, it can be infuriating and you see, Sounds like you know you just got caught up in that in that kind of situation where it was like it made you see red, it made you go off, and you were just so fucking disappointed, right? And then unfortunately, you know, it it escalated. But you know, to his point, it it's good because it could have been much worse, and he he just has a great point because I think. We all in recovery at some point have to contend with this situation where we want to fucking change somebody else's behavior. We want to save them, right? Yeah. And you can't. And that's the bitch of it. And I think that's also why so many AA people or 12-step people in general end up at some point in their recovery getting told that they need to go to, like, Al-Anon, you know? Cause that shit is what that's about, you know, like learning how to to care for yourself and to, and to like love them well and not own their shit and not enable them and not, you know, co-sign it. But at the same time, like let them, let their path be their path, you know, that's tough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, being that I get I came back it just ensures that one of us is 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 the winner you know you're winning because you got this recovery you win the lottery because now you're sober and you're safe you don't have to deal with them god's got god's got them <laughs> right you know even my dad said don't worry god is always with me whatever he he stopped drinking right away because well he doesn't drink anyway until my brother brings alcohol over, you know, but yeah, you know, yeah. And it's it in God's drivers. hands. And and, and the, the steps really kicked in right when I realized, you know, what my sponsor was saying. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I, I can't. Yeah. It's, and it's okay. Like that. It's okay for me to leave. And I don't have to feel guilty <laughs> about leaving the situation like I did. Right. Because it is, isn't. it's God's will. It, he, he knows what's going on. So and if my dad dies in the hands of my brother, that's not on me. It's on him.
2: So, oh, yeah. I think it too. It's like always right after. It's it's I, I don't usually catch the shit before I act. <laughs> it's a, but it's always like right in my face, right after I act, where I'm like, oh, I fucked up. But yeah, <laughs> I'm like just like I'm the last one to know when there's something going on with me, and somebody's got to tell me, and then I'm like. Oh, Damn. Yeah, man. Thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah, that was tough for you. Um, What is the greatest challenge that you've had in your recovery?
1: Well, the greatest challenge I had was early in recovery. I was like three months, three months sober clean and sober, and again, uh, my wife and time took the kids away again to, to a weekend party at a hotel, swimming, blah, 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 you know, so I was in that situation again, but this time, I, I, I had friends that I could talk to, I met somebody on Sober and Serious, I had been talking to, never, ever met her. Her name's actually Jillian. I'm pretty sure you guys, you know, Jillian O'Keefe. I think it's O'Keefe. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I was sitting, I had a bonfire and I was so upset that I couldn't go because my wife was thinking I was going to be this asshole and ruin the whole thing again. And I'm like, at <sighs> had a bonfire, sulking in why I couldn't go pissed off at the world, felt like shit, why wasn't I invited, you know, just the whole everything, and I'm at the bonfire, and I'm looking at the garage I just built, I had built, got a brand new fridge in there, it's got tons of beer, and if I really wanted to, I probably could find a bag of, a bag of meth that I fucking hid in there at one point or another, and, and a pipe and everything, it was all just sitting there. I could easily walk back into there and just start over. Mm-hmm. Or I wrote everything I wrote a long, long message on how I felt on my phone. And it was like a two pager, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And I sent it to to Jillian. And I, I went right when I sent it, it was like Everything, this big weight lifted off of me. It was absolutely a miracle. It was—I couldn't explain it. Just—it was amazing. Yeah. I'm like, how the hell did I feel great now? And I didn't have that. I didn't have to go drink. And as soon as I sent that, I didn't—I didn't know why at the time. But I said it at a meeting the next day. It was the Monday night meeting or whatever at that? and I said I said my whole story again and some lady comes up to me afterwards and she says do you know why that happened why why all that weight was lifted off your off you and all that and I'm like no why did that happen she says because as soon as you sent that you weren't alone anymore
2: <laughs> amen it's so true dude we can't do this by ourselves and pain shared is pain lesson you know yeah. it's it's in the Bible, too, you know, that we will share each other's load, right? And that's what this that's really one of the most magical ingredients of recovery in itself is just this community that we get to be a part of and that we can fucking all lift each other up. Sometimes I need you to carry me. And sometimes I'm going to have to carry your ass, but we can get each other through every single thing. And it don't matter oh, what it's going to throw at us. You know, I love that shit. All right. Now we'll bring it up to some more positive, what is the greatest success that you think that you've experienced in your recovery?
1: Oh man. Uh, (laughs) My greatest success is getting, getting to uh, having my kids respect me again. And they actually want to hang out with me and they actually ask me life questions now. Mm. And it's just so amazing. That's the best. <laughs> um, that is probably the best accomplishment. That, I mean, I can, I can mention a lot of other things. I have, a, I have a new company, my own company. It's a handyman service. Uh, I live in my one bedroom apartment. I don't know how it all happened. I didn't know I had enough money to do it, but I did. I have a brand new truck out there. Yeah. It's just amazing. But really, that. Um, but the main thing, yeah, is is the respect I didn't get when I was drinking and fucking off all the time. My kids would would wouldn't ask me, or wouldn't have anything to do with me. But now they're they love me to death. They see what I've done, and that's that's the biggest accomplishment for me.
2: Amen. Because that's the stuff that you get to take with you, brother, and that's the stuff that you'll leave behind. You know. People aren't going to remember the things you had or how much money was in your fucking bank account, but they're going to remember how you made them feel. And, you know, that's your legacy, you know? I'm proud of you, bro. That's awesome. (laughs) Thanks. thanks. Hell yeah. Yeah, All right. One more, this kind of a doozy, and then we're going to finish it with something fun. What is something that you haven't forgiven yourself or someone else for?
1: Ooh um well my oldest son he he still has a problem with drugs and alcohol and I still haven't forgiven myself completely because I started him on his path to to doing drugs and alcohol when he was 15 because when when he turned 15 I was still in active addiction and I'm like well I turned out okay. No, you can drink too. So we went to the party next door and we were, we started drinking and got him real drunk and we got him real high. And that was his first time. And he it's pretty much the same thing. He, You know, he lit up like fire, just like I did. Now he's, now he's hurting now. So, Mm. and he, he, I haven't talked to him for two years now. So he doesn't like me anymore because of how the divorce went. And I, I was whatever, but yeah, that's my, that's what, that's the main thing. But. You know, it's,
2: it's an instructive question because I think, you know, no matter how good somebody maybe looks on the surface uh, from the outside, looking in uh, people put us on pedestals in this recovery, they'll think that, you know, they'll look up to us and, and, you know, like we're, fucking Mr. Recovery, right? But uh, no matter who it is, no matter how much good they do for the community, no matter how amazing their life appears to be, we all have those things, right? That we need to contend with still or repeatedly that will come up and we have to continue to let them go, give them to God, and they're going to crop back up. And I, you, I think you said it in that or it was either in something you said or something you read earlier in the interview, you said that the, like the devil will bring up your past just to see where you're at spiritually. I think it was out of that serenity book, right? That's yeah. This is that kind of shit. And you know, I just, I just want you to know, dude, that you can't take responsibility for his actions or his path. So, he he'll come around, you know, if he's anything like some of my family members thought I was a self-righteous piece of shit and all this and that when I got clean and they had no reason to think that, you know, it's just the weirdest thing that we get these ideas in our head. We convince ourselves of a narrative that we made up and, you know, thank God, you know, for that breaking point when then they finally fucking start going off on you. Cause that opens the door to a conversation and you can clear it up, you know, <laughs> and that'll happen. That'll happen for you and him. Yeah. I pray. I pray for him all.
1: all the time. And yeah, hopefully he will come around again. So
2: yeah, I'll pray for you too, bro. All right. Last one. This one's kind of funner one. Uh, what is a song that to you symbolizes recovery?
1: Hmm. <laughs> comfortably numb my pink Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> right on i don't know uh, well uh seriously though uh, i don't
2: i was gonna say do you want to elaborate because i'm really curious where how because <laughs> dude it's art right and art's subjective so you, get a, you could actually spit some shit back to me that makes sense but I'm thinking Um, like the opposite for
1: that. The reason reason why I said comfortably numb is uh, there's actually this store in Maplewood mall and she sells uh, like massage oils and this and that. And on her shirt, it says comfortably numb and it's the store name. And it was crazy. I don't know if she had it on automatically, but the song, as soon as I walked in Pink Floyd comfortably numb, started playing <laughs> and she's like oh my god pink floyd come for now this plane i'm like yeah isn't that crazy right when i walked in she's like that's that's amazing i'm like yeah it's great <laughs> <laughs> and i and i told her i was clean and sober she's like oh my god this is like the best day i'm like yeah I, i'm i'm clean and sober and then she actually gave me this uh this little necklace here and uh what it does, it, it uh, defers 3G, 4G, 5G rays or whatever signals, and it bounces off of this instead of going through my body and harming me. So she gave me something that was going to save or, you know, protect me from any elements or whatever. So oh, yeah. I'm sure there's another song out there that I would...
2: But
3: you probably
1: never would
2: have set foot in that store if you weren't in recovery.
3: True.
2: You know? So, see? That kind of does make sense. So, we'll put it in there, dude. That's a great song. Everybody loves it. I'll enjoy it. I never... I never have a problem listening to Pink Floyd. It's one of my favorite bands. And I'll be listening to it when I write up the show notes. Um, (laughs) I can... uh, I can tell you this, man. I... I'm grateful that you came on and I'm, I'm really happy to hear about what recovery's done for you up to this point. And I just want to let you know that it's a, this is a lifelong journey lifestyle, as you know, so I mean, more will be revealed and it's just going to get better from here, brother. And yeah, yeah. Hopefully before too long, you're going to be able to come up to me and tell me some really great stories about how some of that shit pans out, you know, with you. Oh, for sure. yeah yeah yeah. i got nothing but faith it's like my sponsor says you know what if like if that opportunity comes to present itself in your life like what do you want that them to find like you thriving in recovery and the you that's gonna probably make the most of that opportunity or or like do you want them to find you Back fucking up and and like then it's just gonna make things worse, you know. <laughs> like yeah. with my like with my kids and stuff that I haven't seen in twenty years, it's like no. I want them to find this version of me, you know. I want them to find a version that oh, yeah. their jaw drop and maybe they'll be like, oh, really proud and think it's cool, yeah. Because yeah. all they ever, you know. Most people that knew me think I'm a junkie. They th- they always thought I was a junkie, and they probably think that I'll always be a junkie. So if they run India and they see that you're doing good and and they can hear some positive things like that and, and they can see the change, like you said, you're glowing. Man, yeah. that shit's the best, you know? It is the best. It is the best. So I love yeah. you, bro. Thanks for being on. Love you, too. We'll talk to you. Later, everybody out there in Way Out podcast land. Y'all take care. Have a good week. Stay up. Take care of yourselves and each other.
0: Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast alloneword.com. There you can subscribe to The Way Out Podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.